Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in. With your host, Elliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Sekou Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. Now it's time for the tip. Somebody was crazy enough to leave the door unlocked and let us in again. The Hang Time Podcast. Sekou Smith from NBA.com and the Hang Time Blog here. Lang Whitaker. Slam Magazine's own, my co-host. How are you, Langston? I'm good, man. I'm fighting a little cold. Yeah, well, it's a lot of cold in New York. Yeah. Um, what happened? You running around outside with your uh, Under Armour on and caught the bug or something? <laughs> I don't know what happened. I, but I, I was. It's nothing worse than having a cold on the weekend. <laughs> you know, like if you have it during the week, you can take a day off and just stay home. But having like being sick, like I felt it Friday. I was like, oh great. So I spent Saturday and Sunday on the couch but uh Explain. hey we need to we need to give a thanks here to who to a listener uh i think the name is luke donahoe uh-huh or a couple of weeks ago i mentioned little debbie and uh luke has some connections we got a big box of little debbies in the mail last week we we didn't get anything you oh, got, got a bi- you got a big i was gonna say i bit. guess ours is still oh, yeah. in, is it the studio's is it empty over, brother like the pony express is uh, bringing ours over <laughs> so we thanks luke because uh we gave us a great week at the slam dome last week <laughs> <laughs> mike is in here starving to death keith is over here looking like i can see his ribs through his sweatshirt and you eating little debbies <laughs> well, and also Susan, who I work with, I think Seku, you know, she asked me, she she was very grateful for that, and she asked me if I could mention rolled gold pretzels this week, <laughs> preferably the pretzel rods. Yes, yes, rolled gold. Uh, who else do we want to shout out to see if we can't get any uh, residual grubbage? Uh, roll- <laughs> anyway, thanks, Luke. We appreciate. It. Yeah, that's that's a great, it's a great shout to Luke who skipped us on the uh, address list there. But that's <laughs> hey, all we right. know somebody's listening. I know that's all. Right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, Lang, you, you're talking about laying around on the couch all weekend as if that's some different itinerary than you normally have. I mean, so you had a cold, big deal. You still watch – I'm sure you're watching plenty of games and, and keeping your uh, you know eyes on all things uh, basketball and otherwise. What what did you watch this weekend NBA-wise that caught your eye? I watched the Knicks yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was yesterday. I was so like so much Sudafed. <laughs> <laughs> I watch the Knicks, and the Knicks are playing pretty well right now. Stunning, it's, I know. I know it's it's, it's frightening. It's, you know, as as someone who's been here for the last decade, 
winning four games in a row for the Knicks is is <laughs> worth talking about, I think. Uh, but I mean, the Knicks twelve and nine, second place in the division, and they look like the the thing I think that's worth noting is they look like they're getting better as yeah. as they go along. Yeah, almost well, game by game. Felton's playing really well right now. I got a, a one of my Twitter followers, a guy named Richard Banks. Um, he sent me, he sent me a tweet early this morning, and uh, he's like, "Hey, what are your thoughts on Amari and his MVP chances?" Uh, and if the Knicks shock the world and get a three or four seed. And I was like, I mean, I wasn't trying to be rude, uh, Richard, when I sent this back, but I was like, call, you know, ask me again when they get the, the three or the four because I don't – everybody kept telling us when we were giving Miami the business that, it, you know, we're a month into the season. Doesn't that apply to everybody else? Yeah, I think so. You know so. what I mean? Like, doesn't it, yeah. isn't there that caveat for everybody? Yeah. I, I think with the Knicks, I mean – I think you can tell that they they're getting better though. You know, like it's they 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 what they lose six in a row and hers <laughs> at one point, uh, and now they seem to be playing pretty well game by game. Uh, and I, I think you know you look you look at that as a sign of improvement. And hey, let's talk about Miami too while we're at it. Yeah, I mean they they certainly had one of those weeks this past week. I think that that looking back in a few months, they can say, hey, that's where the where our season kind of took a turn for the better if they as long as it keep keeps like this. For the better. Yeah, as long yeah. as they keep they get more consistent with it i mean they've they had a great week um i don't you know comp- the competition aside um four and yeah i mean they 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 certainly look like the kind of team we were led to believe they would be when all the hype was going on um and really i thought lebron and and bosh more than anything just finally looked comfortable in their yeah. new surroundings, because that's Wade's been there. I mean, it's not like Wade had to make some gigantic adjustment in terms of where he is and and that sort of thing. He certainly had to adjust his game to play with those two guys. But they, I mean, LeBron looked great in Cleveland. I thought, the other night. I thought that the Cleveland game that Bosch looked really, really good, and I kind of wonder why he, you know, if he can keep that up, great. But that seems like the way he should have, or they should be using him every night to me picking pops and that kind of thing because that's where he's really good at that were you surprised at all at the way the the heat used bosh as the kind of their their uh conduit against the hawks you know they used him basically to run everything through against the hawks saturday night and really took apart the hawks you know up, i think up 17 a couple different times in that game yeah yeah i i think the hawks i mean and i was gonna ask you about this today too what do you think happens now with joe out uh, well you know, signing Damian Wilkins, I thought was a nice, yeah. a nice stroke. I also thought they should have signed Damian three years ago. Right. Um, but I, my big question for the Hawks is, with Joe out, everybody's going to assume that the burden fall, you know, the scoring burden falls to Jamal, right. Al, and maybe Josh Smith. I would probably rather see them spend more time creating shots for Marvin. Um, yeah. You know, because at Marvin's size, we've always talked about what would he do if he was a you know, a, a first, second, or third option, which he's never been right. on that team. And now, you know, with Joe out, Marvin still is like a periphery player. And yeah. if you notice, when Marvin plays well and has big games, yep. it tends to be a, a good bellwether for the Hawks. But Saturday night, is I mean, he was completely out of the mix. And I thought right. that's when they're in, in trouble is when Marvin is a six-foot-nine ghost. You know, when he's just out on the floor, you look up at the end of the night and he's played 25 to 30 minutes and he's got, like, seven points and two rebounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't afford to have a guy with Marvin's size and 
his abilities be that much of a non-factor. And, I, and I'm worried that he becomes a non-factor without Joe out there, without a con, you know, a concerted effort to get him involved, and you have kind of a free-for-all. Like Josh Smith, I thought – I'm always worried about Josh when he plays against, like, the LeBrons and the Carmelos and right. these people of the world because Josh can do some of the things that they can do, and I think he spends a lot of time during those contests trying to match – Star, you know, like superstar yeah. play for superstar play instead of just playing his game and being a, a force on, on both ends like we know he can. I think the other thing is, I mean, you're trying to replace Joe Johnson's points. And Jamal's already averaging like 14 a game. I mean, you're trying to make up 18 more points. Jamal's not going to average 32 a game. Right. It's not one guy. It's got, it's got to be a lot of guys. And, I, and I, yeah. I agree with you. I think Marvin's, this is a chance for him to step up and to, to get some more points. And they still got to get some more production from the point guards too, I think. Yeah, and I was thinking about it over the weekend, guys. The, the, what teams do you think will need a roster shakeup the most? Right. You know, and to me, the Hawks rank right up there with the teams that I just I can't see them progressing. I, progressing past where they've been the last couple of years. The regular season, I'm not I'm not cons- as concerned with regular season wins as I am with what a team is capable of doing once the playoffs start. I don't see them being able to move beyond where they've been the last two years is presently constituted. Well, it's, it's really, are they going to move beyond Boston, Orlando, Miami? Or are they, are they going to move into a realm where they're competitive in a right. playoff series with those teams? You know what right. I mean? Like right. where it goes six or seven games as opposed to getting swept. Yeah. Um, um, and I thought about them and other teams who were in that boat. Who else did you come up with? Well, I thought certainly the Hawks in the East – strike me as that team. Um, and then in the West, I don't know that Denver is a team that can go f- much beyond where they've been, you know, since that Western Conference Finals trip a couple years ago. I don't see them as a team that can get beyond where they've been, you know, where they were last year. Like, they're a first-round-and-out bunch uh, the way they look to me. I know George Carl is much more positive than I am. <laughs> he's, you know, he's talked much more positive, obviously, about his team than I have. But, I, you know, just watching them, I don't see that extra edge or, you know, I don't see any X factor for them. Like I thought you'd think J.R. Smith would be an X factor that could get them out of a playoff series if they needed it, but I don't see it. Well, I think when Kenyon gets back, that makes a difference if he's healthy. But I I think with Denver, I mean, really for them it's matchups. You know, if they get the right draw in the playoffs, who knows? Right. They, they, I think, wasn't Phil Jackson who was saying the Lakers, that's the team they struggle with the most yeah. <laughs> in the West? Yeah. You know, I, I think it depends. They come up on the right team. Uh, I don't want to count them out just yet. And uh, and also Carmelo, I mean, he, with all this stuff, talk and everything, he's still playing. He's still Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, I'm by no means am I talking about these guys not playing well or hard or whatever. It's just – if you're looking at matchups in the postseason and how right. these things will shake out, it's hard for me to to envision either one of those teams being anything more than what they've been, only because they've they've made the a minimal amount of you know moves and changes to their makeup. You know, right? Um, you know, it's another set of curious teams I wrote about this morning on the blog. Um, you know, Boston and San Antonio are leading their respective conferences. And, and really, I should have included Dallas in the conversation as well. Um, but, I mean, it's 
I think it's interesting that a month into the season, at least two teams that we really didn't bargain on being in that mix or being, you know, nobody talked really about the Spurs or Dallas being front-running right. teams or, lead, you know, leading the pack the way they are. And the fact that they're doing it, I think, is pretty interesting. It, t- it speaks to, you know, sometimes when you have a really good roster and you make a couple of slight tweaks, you know, you bring in that Tyson Chandler or you, you know, you add something, a little something different to your mix. Maybe you started DeWan Blair early in the year. Right. Um, it just changes. It gives you a little edge. And and I like what both of those teams are have done and how they look early on. It doesn't mean that they're going to be there, you know, in June, but it certainly means that they're serious about trying to be a factor. And they, but they also both of those teams have an MVP to play around, right? You know what I mean, right? To play off of with Dirk and with Duncan, and I think, you know, you, other teams can make tweaks and things like that, but unless you have that guy, that you anchor, need an anchor, yeah, yeah, and Duncan and Nowitzki are both playing amazing yeah. so far this year. So I think those two guys. Uh, they might not get as much credit because they've been there so long, and you kind of you're just used to it at this point. You take it for granted, right? Um, but they're those guys are both as responsible for the success as anyone else is. Yeah. Are you? Uh, have you? I'm assuming you've seen this the story um, on ESPN.com. I think they they broke it first about uh, the the league taking over the Hornets. Yeah. Um, Da David Aldridge wrote a good thing about it this morning, also on yeah. on NBA.com. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your take on that and how that's going to work out with with all the the talk about Chris Paul? You know, quieted down when they rolled yeah. that eleven one start. Now that they've kind of come back to earth a little bit, you know, I don't know how it, I don't I don't really know how it plays out. I don't know if anyone does because it's the first time. Yeah, I can remember this happen in the NBA that a team goes under the ownership of the league basically and i know that they still are going to run the team like it's a team and try to be competitive and stuff but uh, it makes it makes me wonder if if they're just going to have to be for the time being at least kind of status quo and go with what they have which isn't the worst thing in the world if you're the hornets because <laughs> they've been good this year yeah. but uh I, I mean i would think if there's a team like that and the league's trying to sell the team if your marquee player is chris paul you wouldn't want to that would seem to me to diminish the value of the franchise a little bit if you don't have a Chris Paul there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's really it's interesting. It's uncharted waters in a way. I think it's a you know somebody brought up the Washington Nationals and the fact that Major League yeah. Baseball has done this, um, but I think it's a totally different dynamic in the NBA where in baseball you'd have to trade multiple pieces, right. players and assets and what have you to really shake up a team in baseball, like to really change from from being, say, a middle-of-the-pack team to being a contender. In the NBA, you could trade one guy. Yeah. And it could completely change a franchise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it really puts the Hornets in a tough position if, say, they decide, you know, say management decides in February, hey, we got to do this in order to make this team better or we got to do this to solve whatever issues we may have. If you're hamstrung or or you have some constraints on you because of the the league being you know owning the team or operating the team rather, that changes the dynamic for that front office in regards to the trade deadline and what they might do. And I'm just curious how you you know how do you reconcile that if you're Dale Demps you know and you're trying right. to make this thing right and, and you don't really have the freedom to do it as as you normally would. 
I, I just wonder how long it lasts. You know, yeah. how long how long does this are they in this kind of limbo? If they're even in, I don't even know. Like, are they going to be in limbo? It sounds <laughs> sort of like it, but uh, I mean, I guess you look at it like you know they've already made some moves. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the upside. They got Ariza and they they got rid of uh, Peja, and so you look at that and you say, well, you know, they've got they made these moves. They've got this group. They're thirteen and seven right now. Uh, you know, they, let, let's go with this and see what we have. Maybe by trade deadline time. It's a little more concrete, or, or they at least have some a better idea of what they are or are not allowed to do, and you know. But you play up until that point, and, and you go from there. Sure, it, I, it is definitely one of the many things that I think bears watching. Um, you know, as this thing goes on, and and here we are. I think we we've, we've been yapping here for a good fifteen twenty minutes, and we haven't even mentioned the Lakers, um, who I want to talk about as well. So. There, there's a lot of different things shaking around the league right now, a month, little more than a month in that I think are very interesting. I, I'm struck by how many teams have been the flavor of the week and yeah. they've fallen out of favor or, you know, kind of faded into the to the background. I was thinking about the Timberwolves. You know, we talked about the Hornets. Um, you know, so many different teams that kind of pop on the radar and everybody's going, man, these guys are playing well. They won four out of five and then, uh, you know, they're, they're forgotten as fast as, you, <laughs> you, you know, you, you started drumming up the chatter about them. So um, one of those teams, Lang, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And right now we're joined by Nick Collison of the Thunder, guy we wanted to have on the show for a long time. Nick, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm trying to stay warm here in Chicago. <laughs> it's, it's cold everywhere. It's cold everywhere. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's funny how quickly you get soft to cold weather. <laughs> I grew up in Iowa where it's very cold in the winters and uh, moved on to – Seattle, Oklahoma. It's not. It's not quite as cold. It gets chilly, but nothing like this. I, I can barely take it anymore. In Oklahoma, the wind comes sweeping down the plains. Oh, from what I understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had Ridenour on Seku's favorite player <laughs> about two weeks ago, and I asked him what you told me to ask him about about his rookie year apartment. He said that you kind of had the comfort zone part too. Yeah, <laughs> I was in better shape than his, but um, I tell you, when you went, when I used to go to Luke's house, it looked like um, something out of the wire, like one of those row houses where it's just like you know, no furniture. He had a mattress on the floor, no bed, spring. Um, he had his, a 60-inch TV, but it was just sitting on the floor, no entertainment center, like bean bags. I think he might have had one couch, uh, but it's funny. He, he uh at that time, uh, before he was married, um, when he was getting fashion advice, he used to use a, a shoestring for a belt. Um, <laughs> so that's why we call it like, the comfort zone. Everything is just like absolutely just, you know, no, just whatever is most comfortable, um, easiest. That's kind of how he lived his life back then. And, and you weren't that far off? Um, yeah, I was similar, but <laughs> I, I, I at least had furniture. Um <laughs> And I usually wore a belt, so I was ahead of him, I guess. Spartan accommodations as, as rookies. How how much different is your outlook now, um, just in terms of how you approach living off the off the court? You know, I mean, not the game, but I mean, is it how different is it now for you? Having been in the league for a while, um, I you know I think we all change a lot as we kind of grow up, and, and obviously playing in the NBA gives you a lot of different experience, but. I'm still real similar where, um, you know, I'm pretty much 
kind of the same guy I was before. Um, you know, I've learned um, kind of like where I'm at in terms of my career, um, budgeting, things like that, um, you know, future planning. Like I learned a lot about um, planning for the rest of my life, things like that. So my lifestyle kind of fits in with, with long-term plans. And yeah. uh, at that point in my life, I didn't really know much about anything. I didn't know how long I've been playing the league. So we were kind of just living day to day, having fun. Um, just, you know, we, we lived on, on Lake Washington, both of us. So we had a lot of fun in the summer uh, on the boat and just kind of, um, no worries. And I don't have a lot of worries now, but I just, you know, older, I have a daughter now. So, uh, things have changed. I have to be a, a lot more serious and kind of have a plan for, for the rest of my life now that I'm 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that you're an old man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got like five gray hairs. So I'm getting old. I found one the other day, so I know, it, I know how it feels. Um, right. Let's talk. Well, you just signed uh, an extension with the Thunder. Uh, you guys have been playing really well the last couple weeks, especially Westbrook. What what's going on? You guys kind of you you're back healthy, or you guys kind of finding your stride in a way? Yeah, I think you know we started out uh, a little bit inconsistent, and I still think we are at times. Like we we haven't put together um, 48 minutes yet, like we like we want to be able to. That's right. kind of the next step for us is to have that consistency for longer stretches uh, we play really well times we've been really good at the end of games won a lot of close games um and a lot of that has to do with like russell playing so well uh, he's a great weapon to have kevin also at the end of games because those guys like russell can just attack the basket and get something positive for us um you know we don't we, even in the last two years like we haven't really executed that well that's what i used to say about like last year kevin's year last year he averaged 30 a game 21 years old, it's scary because we don't even really execute that well yet for him. It's something we're always working on and we're getting better at, but, um, you know, we just haven't been together for five, six years like a team like the Lakers or, you know, we don't have a ton of veteran guys like the Celtics. We're still trying to figure out how to get shots from our offense. Right now, those guys are creating so much offense, and, um, you know, we're fortunate to be able to have talented guys like that, but we'll get better, and I think it would be really scary as we – as they start to get more easy easy looks out of the offense, because the offense really right now isn't giving them a lot of shots. It's more them creating stuff and creating shots for, for teammates. Nick, I know you were a young player, uh, you know, on that team, that Seattle team that was 52-30 and 30 your rookie season. What parts of that experience do you think translate to understanding how a, a good team or, you know, a, a playoff caliber team, a team that's trying to shoot for championships. What part of that experience do you think you can identify in this Oklahoma City team? Um, I think I think our team now has more talented players. We have a, a deeper team with more talented guys. Um, I think the thing I noticed about that team was um, everyone really bought into their roles. Um, we had eight free agents come into the season, and a lot of people were, you know, we struggled the year before. Um, Coach McMillan was in the last year of his deal. There's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of negativity around the team. It was kind of like no one was expecting much out of us. Mm. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, everyone kind of pulled together. And I think we, we lost our first game to the Clippers by like 30. And uh, after that, we went on like 115 or 18, something crazy like that. And what happened was that for whatever reason, it just clicked. We had 
guys that were screeners, defenders, offensive rebounders. We had Ray and Rashar, which did the majority of the scoring. We had Luke and Tonio who created. And I think the similarities on our team is guys are, are filling those roles. Um, guys are learning how to do that. I think we have, like I said, I think we have more talented guys um, and younger guys, but but it's similar in terms of like guys kind of are filling their roles, happy with what they do, and everyone's kind of bringing something uh, different to the table that helps us win games. That, you don't usually see that with young teams, like you're saying. I, I read somewhere, are, you're the, are you the oldest guy on that team? or uh, No, Mo Pete's older than me. Okay. But, I mean, Mo Pete <laughs> is not like, you know, a grizzled veteran like you, you're used to hearing right. like about from 10 years ago. I mean, when you're talking about guys embracing roles, normally that you don't see it from a team as young as yours. Is it a little surprising it's happened this quickly? Yeah, and it, it, it's, it can be difficult at times because you got, with our team, you have, um, you have a lot of young guys. So you've got a lot of guys that are trying to uh, establish who they are in the league, like what kind yeah. of player they're going to be. And uh, it can be difficult to ask someone to try to sacrifice a little bit and fit into a role um, to help the team win when they're looking at their whole career like, you know, their 10, 12-year career, whatever they get, and they're looking right. at what kind of player am I going to be, what kind of deal am I going to get. You know, that's just naturally the way guys think. And uh, we've got, I think what the way we've been able to do it is we got really good character guys. Um, we got guys that also are smart guys and understand that um, if they are able to fill a role um, and be on a successful team, then everybody will do better in their careers. And, um you know, we just—I think we've just been blessed with with good people, and it's not—it's not, it's not uh, good luck. I think the or, the organization really um, does their work in, in trying to find those guys. They they really research the character of player as well as their talent, and try to find guys that are going to be a good mix with what they're trying to do. Nick, you you mentioned earlier being from Iowa, and you know I know you went to school at Kansas, so you, you know. You've been in that environment that maybe Oklahoma City falls into, that Midwestern, you know, or the Plains environment where it's more college-centric, I would imagine, you know, the the fans than they are NBA-centric. How's it been for you just dealing with the type of fan atmosphere you have in Oklahoma City? Because I was there when the Hornets were playing in Oklahoma City and that town was just rabid about having a team. I've been back since – you know, the Thunder have been there. And I'm curious, is it does it feel like that all the time, that kind of rock star mentality you, that you have maybe when you're in Lawrence and everybody knows you and everybody's into the team? Is it the same thing in Oklahoma City still? Yeah, it, it's similar. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, a small town in Iowa, but, you know, University of Iowa, Iowa State is huge. Um, everyone followed the college sports. People follow sports. I think sports are a really big deal in the Midwest. Um it just seems like a lot of our really good sports towns in Midwest cities, um, Chicago, Cleveland, um, you know, they're bigger cities, but it's kind of Midwest. I, think, I just think sports, for whatever reason, is a, is a big deal. Kids get into, like where I'm from, people really get into the high school sports, like, like you said, the college sports. And um, with, the, with the Thunder in Oklahoma City, I think it, it's real similar. I think they, they uh, enjoy coming out to the games and getting behind the team. And, um, you know, it's worked out well for the organization because of the group we have is a fun group to watch. Um, we we got guys that are exciting young players, um, you know, some of the best young talent in the league, but also I think teams appreciate 
you know, how hard we play, or I'm sorry, uh, fans appreciate how hard we play. And I think that kind of buys into what they're used to seeing from college kids and, and uh, you know, kind of being all about trying to win games and be about the team, which, you know, a lot of teams in our league are like that, but um, stereotypically sometimes our league gets a bad rap of, of teams not being like that. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes unfairly. And I think a lot of, you know, majority of our guys in this league work extremely hard, but um, I think our team kind of embodies what, what they like seeing from, from college teams. Nick, do you enjoy the celebrity lifestyle you lead, <laughs> being an NBA star? Well, I, you know, the red car, all the red carpets and, um, you know, the fact that I wear uh, shades inside now, um, <laughs> things like that, I think, is stuff that I've gotten used to. Um, my publicist right. um, and I, you know, we're always trying to find new ways to get out there. Um, right. My stylist is, is actually waiting right now to fit me into some new uh, uh, Gucci product suits um, just <laughs> to kind of build my brand and, and build my look. And uh, good so, yeah, it's something I've gotten used to, and I'm trying to trying to maximize my brand out there. In, in the That's why you're and, so big on Twitter, right? Like, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's all about uh, <laughs> it's all about the Nick Collison brand. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Nick, do you, in addition to the basketball, I mean, you talked about the stereotypes and how people just assume professional athletes are a certain way. What what else do you have going on outside of basketball that kind of keeps you plugged in? Like, what is it you do outside of the game to keep yourself, you know, motivated and stimulated mentally and, you know, in terms of what you do off the court? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I... I spent a lot. Of, obviously, my my daughter, she's four years old. That takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spending time with her, trying to, um, you know, parenting is tough. There's probably people out there who are who are parents, and you know, trying to be a good parent is, is difficult when you have a, a difficult schedule and you're gone a lot. So that takes a lot of my time. Um, trying to, you know, just do the things you try to get your four year old to do and work on numbers and line and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, I, I keep in touch with my friends a lot. Uh, I don't do a lot during the season. Mm-hmm. I kind of stay low key. I, you know, when I'm home, I like to to relax. I watch a lot of TV, which probably isn't the best thing, but um, <laughs> into TV, TV, movies, and um, I, you know, I've, I've always been someone that um, kind of likes my privacy away yeah. from the court. And um, you know, I, I, these people, uh, you know, occasionally I'll come see, I'll come up and say great things about the Thunder, and, and that's awesome. Uh, because, you know, we love our fans, and fans are, are great in Oklahoma City, and they, they really uh, – seems like the whole city's behind us, which is great, but, but I kind of like to, to, to be on my own a little more and uh, stay to myself. But, um, you know, in the off season, I, I, I travel, and um, I try to read a little bit here and there, and um, I got some other stuff I'm, I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, real estate-type stuff that keeps me busy, so – uh, just kind of, I don't know, a little bit of everything. Trying to, trying to stay busy. Yeah. What's your, what are you watching on TV right now or lately? Um, well, it's not a great class of TV because the seasons are Mad Men's over. I was really into that. Um, it's on I've, 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 I've never watched it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Really, either. it's no. pretty good. It, um, you have to take your time getting to. I think I'm more interested in it just the. Um, be, just kind of because it's a period piece. It's I'm, uh, I think just learning about what life was like in 1960 right. 
Um, it's kind of cool at first, and then you kind of get caught into the story. Uh-huh. Um, I was on um, Breaking Bad. You know, that's on break, too. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great show. Um, I, I, I'm starting to get into Boardwalk Empire more. It started out slow on HBO. But I, think I, that's I watched the season finale last night. It was good. I love Boardwalk. That's my show right there. I watched that's that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really quick. So I, I, I still got like three, la- two or three left. I'm behind on my DVR, but um, so don't spoil it for me. But <laughs> I think it's really picked up. Like for the last, you know, probably five episodes, four episodes of the season. Yeah. And I think Modern Family is a funny show on ABC. Yeah. Um, that's about it for now. Forty-eight hours mystery. I always watch that. <laughs> I think Saturday Night Live is in a good place right now. I think they got a really good cast. And Did you see uh, this week? The finale with Betty White and Jay Z last spring, right before my, <laughs> my surgery in New York. So that was awesome. Did you see it this week with uh, with Robert De Niro? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. It was good. One. Good. It was good. Don't be yeah, surprised. He, he, when you he's catch like up different on there because he's you know he's such a, a big time serious classic actor. I think it might be kind of tough to write for him. Uh, he seemed like it'd be a lot of pressure to write for that guy. Yeah. The, the host, but I thought they did a good job. I guess as long as he's willing to to dress like a woman and stuff like he did <laughs> on there. Right. You know, if he's willing, it's cool. Hey, don't be surprised on the Boardwalk Empire finale when Tony Soprano shows up. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but don't Tony's, be caught uh, off guard. Great-grandfather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick, you, uh, you, you watch uh, a ton of different stuff. Lang has, Lang has blasted me on several occasions for never, never having watched Seinfeld. Um, and I and I'll admit I don't know why I just missed it. I don't you know I don't know what I was watching during the Seinfeld era or whatever. And I haven't bothered to take the time to go back and watch it. Um, you know the the box sets on DVD or anything. What show did have you not watched that you wished you had after seeing like how big it became or or how much of mm-hmm. a phenomenon it is? Um, that's a tough question. Um, well. He's watched everything. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, there's a lot of shows. Like, I kind of, I kind of wish I would have watched Lost. I know there's a lot of people that say it, it got ridiculous at the end, but I never watched that. But that was just a huge phenomenon. Yeah, I never got watched that. I watched one season of Twenty Four. Really liked it, but felt like it was just so much work to watch. You know, twenty four, yeah. twenty four episodes. Um, so I think it would be be cool to maybe be caught up with that. Um, there's a show now that a lot of my friends told me to watch Sons of Anarchy. I haven't seen it at all. Um, That's my show. I love that. I, is that good? Okay. I, I'm not too far behind, so I can probably catch up on that on DVD on the road. But, you know, it's just, I guess, off the top of my head. Even, you know, Seinfeld I watched a little bit, but that's a little, you know, I was like 13 when it came out, so I didn't watch that much. But I like our generation. He's <laughs> um, trying to make us feel enthusiasm old. The <laughs> enthusiasm to me is my generation, Seinfeld. Yeah. I'm excited about the new season. Of that. I think it's the new season in New York, right? Yeah, they uh, they ran a promo for it last night on HBO. Like they promote all their new shows for next year, and they they said Curb Your Enthusiasm new season. So yeah, I'm pumped for that. And uh, I like Bored to Death on HBO. Have you watched that? Yeah, well, I like that show. Yeah, I watch that show too. It's pretty yeah, good. I'm it's well written. Behind on that too, but yeah. So, um, you got anything else, Saker? Yeah, I mean, I. Uh, th- this guy's like, he's the TV, he, he should be our new TV guy. I mean, I don't even know why we're bothering with some of these other cats we try and keep up with. He's, I watched 24, by the way. Um, yeah. 24 was, I picked it up like two years in. It's really I never watched either. Lost either, though. I, I'm serious, I feel deprived. Like, my wife has watched everything. She watches anything that comes on, she's seen it. I don't watch anything because 
with the schedule, the NBA schedule we keep, and this tells you how long I've been covering the league and doing this, there was no DVR uh, years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, now that you can DVR everything, I mean, I guess you could. You, you don't have an excuse. Yeah. Do you, yeah do you well, still, I don't know. You probably travel a lot. We, the DVDs and the Netflix now is the way to go. I like, yeah. you know, I almost rather be behind on a show than be able to just kind of plow through it on Netflix and the plane. You don't have to wait. That's kind of the way to go. That's how I watch The Wire. I watch all five seasons of The Wire, like, in before All-Star break, I think. Yeah. <laughs> on the plane a lot in the hotel a lot you can do that but i i realize most uh most people don't have that luxury they're working nine to five and have kids right. and stuff like that so we're pretty best thing about the nba if people ask us now i'll just say i get a lot of time to watch my shows and catch up <laughs> <to> my show. <laughs> hey, i i downloaded the first episode of lost when it came out and i was gonna catch up and watch it everybody was talking about it and i had a long plane flight and uh, I think it was—I think I was going to Europe or somewhere. And I got on the plane. I started watching this show about a plane crash in the ocean. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I was like, eh, "I don't—I don't think I want to watch this now." So I, I yeah, never got into it. I, I missed my chance. Well, listen, we're—we're we're not going to miss uh, any Thunder games. I promise you that. Um, I mean, it, it has to be fun for you playing on a team like that as one of the elder statesmen, uh, all of thirty years old, and one of the one of the old guard on that team, but. Um, we, we we love watching what you guys do, man, and and we'll be looking forward to watching you more. We appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us on the Hang Time Podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. All Thanks, right, Nick. Nick. We'll be in touch. All right, we'll see you. Yep. Lang, I know this. we're supposed to talk basketball here all the time. We somehow always find a way to drive this conversation into TV and what have you. And, and he brought up something interesting. He's talking about people's television watching habits right now. I can't help myself. I've been drawn to this investigative channel. Right. There's some, I don't even know what the name of it is. All I know what the number it is on my cable, which I'm not going to say because I'm, I'm battling my cable people right now about several issues. They won't, I can't, no, listen, I can't get certain <laughs> channels. Your bill? No, no, we pay the bill. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not, they, they won't give us certain channels on our quote unquote tier or whatever. It's like, as much as we pay for cable, right, and this is probably going to preclude us from getting any any kind of gift baskets from cable companies, how in the world could any channel could you not have this channel when you flick back something and go you you know you need to click okay to subscribe to this like for this kind of money, I should be sub- a subscriber to everything on the dial right I mean cable is ridiculous now how much the the packages cost, but anyway, this investigative channel. I'm I'm in love with this thing because they have all these old documentaries and uh stuff that you may have missed when when you were an infant, you know, that they kinda dig back up. Right. And and the Sundance channel does this as well. I don't know if you have that at all. Yeah. But the Sundance channel does a good job of doing these like environmental documentaries and all this good stuff that pops up on the T V. I would love for somebody to give us some cameras and some mics and let us do some investigative stories about the NBA. What do you think? I'm not sure we'd want to get that into it. <laughs> think the good people at Panasonic would give us some camera equipment? Well, we're trying. Listen, we're panhandling for for goods here now. We <laughs> we want good we want goodie bags, baby. Panasonic still a brand. Low the <laughs> we, are, we are we are no longer swinging for the fences. We're we, just we were this basically close to getting into something from them, and then I said that, and now they're going to be mad at us. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I watch that. I watch, you know, I watch a lot of cooking shows. I watch all the different Food Network, the Cooking Channel, uh, PBS. Yeah, I watch all the cooking shows on there because I cook dinner every night, so I have to. What? I have to keep up on it. Time out. Time out. Since when did you start cooking dinner every night? Since my wife and I moved in together. Are you serious? <laughs> and I found out she didn't like to cook dinner. I was like, well, someone's going to have to make sure we eat. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, said, I only ask because I know you live in New York City, and you've never invited us over for dinner. You're always like, hey, let's go out to eat. Let's go Let's go to this great Cuban restaurant, this and the other. You never invited anybody over to check out your chef skills. I'm not as good as those guys. I mean, I'm not. I'm willing to admit that I'm not. I'm not. I'm not at that level. So I try. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Whatever, man. What's what's your what's your signature dish? What's Lang Whitaker's signature dish? That's a good question. Um, I do a pretty good roasted chicken. Uh, good with steak. Throw a name out there. We're trying. Fish. Listen. Throw a name out, Lang. What, I'm, what I'm you setting you up here, and we can't. We're not. We're not going to get any church's chicken with you talking about your roasted chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't bring it. I don't, I don't, what do you mean? What name do you want me to I don't know. It? Some rotisserie something. You know, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're groveling here. I'll say this. My favorite food that, uh, the one thing I get every time I'm in Atlanta, you know what it is. Every time I come to Atlanta, my first stop is Chick-fil-A. Yeah, well. Because they don't have one in New York. They're not even open on Sundays. Get out of here. I mean, come on. I, it doesn't. It's not. It's not good. I think. <laughs> we need to work on our pandering skills. Exactly. We we need yeah. to beg better, man. Listen. We listen, Lang. We have another guest today on the Hang Time podcast. Another person we've been really interested to talk to about all things. Uh, Roland Lazenby, uh, author and basketball uh, connoisseur, is joining us now on the Hang Time podcast. Roland, how are you? Doing great, Suku. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Lang Whitaker's here with me as well. Lang. Hey, how are you? And doing great. We, you know, we've been talking about different teams, um, you know, different eras of basketball. Lang and I have been having that conversation for a long time. But right now in the league, you know, last week we had LeBron James go back to Cleveland for the first time as a member of the Miami Heat. And there was so much buildup leading into that game, so much chatter. Uh, you know, from different places. Phil Jackson, everybody basically weighed in on LeBron going back last week. And I'm curious, what was your impression of the scene there, his performance, and kind of how things have evolved in the days since then? Well, the drama was so high on that thing that we all couldn't resist just getting in our shots and, and having fun. You know, I think personally, one of these days, LeBron is going to own this league. So... <laughs> If if you're going to get in your shots, you better do it now. And frankly, all the drama and, and you know and sort of pretentiousness of the thing just made it ripe for having fun at uh, at the heat expense. But you knew it was going to be a huge build up for a huge letdown. I right. thought LeBron handled himself well, and uh, daggone, it was tough on the Cavs. <laughs> I mean, man, they're still reeling from that. That's the kind of hurt that gets laid on you. It stays. Right. Uh, Roland, I know you're, you've done, I don't even know how many books about the Lakers. Uh, how did you become a, a Laker historian? Were you, were you a fan growing up, or, or how did that happen? Well, you know, I've always liked the Lakers and the Celtics. But, I, you know, timing is everything. And I, I went out and started uh, – doing some projects on the Lakers back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I did a project in 92. 
for St. Martin's Press, where I literally started interviewing everybody, Jack right. Kent Cook, mm-hmm. all, you know, all the old timers who'd been involved. You know, you just build a, a base of uh, all these people and all these conversations, and the thing just gathers momentum. And so it, it led to a series of other projects. And, you know, I, I got to do the NBA Finals history back in the 80s, late 80s, I think. And, you know, I got to interview all the old owners and, uh, you know, Danny from up there in Syracuse with the shot clock. And a lot of people who've gone on, you know, Les uh, Harrison from, you know, from Rochester. And so spending all the time with all those old timers, man, and hearing their stories, you know, less with the Rochester Royals, he had a great team. They could never beat Mike and And then in 51, they were off to a great start, and they started losing. So he took the whole team out and let them get just really drunk. <laughs> got back on their winning streak. You know, they were they got so tore up, I, I guess they just exercised all the demons. And so listening to those old stories, you know, to, I, nobody would do that today. They wouldn't just have everybody get and I mean really, really drunk. They just about tore up a bar doing it, supposedly. So, you know, it was a lot of fun to hear all the old stories. You know, a lot of the NBA back then, really nobody was watching, so they didn't pay too much attention. So what right. But I, I do tell, I teach a little bit of college, and I do tell uh, all my students when they're interviewing, I say, you got to talk to the old folks. They're the ones who tell the truth. You know, a lot of times these guys are in the middle of it. They, they're, they're so such in the PR mode yeah. that they can't really tell what's going on, who they like and who they don't like. And you know, you, a lot of times you can't figure out why teams and players and coaches do what they do until ten or twenty years after, when they'll finally give it up. You know, they just right. they just don't talk about it. And so I, I tell my students, you got to talk to a lot of people in their 70s and 80s. Some of my uh, some of my best information has come from people like that. Mm. Huh. Do you still have? I mean, I'm assuming you still have really strong relationships with some of these people you've written about and interviewed over the years. What's your relationship like now with you know these living legends, guys like Jerry West and Phil Jackson and these people? Well, I think Jerry's a little hot. He's got his own book coming out. I, I, he's, he was nice. Mm-hmm. And I have very close relationships with uh, his brother and some other members of his family. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conflict in these stories sometimes. You know, Jerry is, is going to discuss this in his own book. But, I, you know, his, his father abused him physically um, in a very hard time right when he was 12, 13 years old. And Jerry has really hard feelings about his father. Mm-hmm. And Jerry's older brother and his and his sisters revere uh, and have all this love for the father. So there's there's conflict in the family, and uh, I, I didn't take sides in it. I just let everybody have their say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and but you know sometimes you can you can uh, you can get on the wrong side of people uh, going back and trying to tell as much truth as you can. Uh, you know a, a guy like Tex Winter. I have uh, have tremendous regard for a guy like Derek Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't care what you cover, what field you're in. It's hard to think of a better person 
and I mean in every way, the guy is really smart. He cares a lot. Derek Fisher is just a, a, a jewel for the NBA. And what a tremendous role model. You can see, you can see a guy like that uh, having this huge impact on any young players that, that are on a roster with him. Right. And, uh, you know, anytime I see Derek Fisher, I, I remember uh, I was writing a lot about the Lakers. I was doing a Kobe Bryant book uh, his first two years in the league. It's called Mad Game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was all this, uh, I don't want to call it lies, but they were putting up this false front about the Lakers and, and all the conflict with Kobe and Shaq. But you could look at that team and see it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And you could see that something was deeply wrong with it. You know, and Derek Fisher was a late first-round draft pick. He didn't have a solid position on that team. But I'll never forget this as a journalist. Man, you asked him a question. He just stood up, looked at you, and offered you the truth with as much clarity and feeling and emphasis as you could you could get. And so when people who are not in safe situations step up and uh, – and, and offer the truth like a Derek Fisher. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with these labor negotiations coming up. I right. think it could affect all of us tremendously. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think of a better person to be involved in it, a more conscientious human being. Right. And I don't give this kind of uh, praise to a lot of people yeah. and Derek Fisher. He's that guy. If we can get out of this mess and all of us can keep working, the players <laughs> – Everybody, we need that it, to happen. Yeah, we need it to happen. It'll be <laughs> large part. If anybody can get it done, I have total faith that Derek Fisher will find a way. Mm. You you did this book about Kobe. Um, how how interested were you in not only the process early on in his career, but where he is now? Like, what are your impressions of Kobe at this stage of his career? Well, you know, I had a conversation with Michael back in 2008, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. about Kobe and, and you know, the difficulty of Jordan's own legacy. And, you know, Michael's very matter-of-fact about it. He said, you know, I, humans are mimetic. They copy each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at all the rock and roll bands, they've all copied each other. Uh, people come along to basketball. I, I was copying David Thompson. Everybody is. You know, that's how you learn. And so he, everybody got up in arms about Kobe, but he said the thing about Kobe is that of everybody, you have to do the work, and Kobe is the one of right. everybody who has done the work. And, uh, you know, in, in this age of modern sports, there are a lot of people cashing really big checks who maybe aren't doing their all to earn those checks. And, again, if you're on a roster with Kobe Bryant, one, you're going to be awed because he's a maniac. (laughs) He's the guy is a maniac. He ought to be in charge of productivity for the nation. (laughs) True. When he's three playing basketball. Because he's insane. I equated him to Lyndon Johnson because when Lyndon Johnson got elected on election day, he was a young congressman in Texas. You know, they didn't have all the stuff they have today. He had to walk all over the district knocking on doors. Lyndon Johnson was in the hospital from exhaustion on election day. And he, you know, this is back in the 30s. But he, he, he just was so far over the top. He was determined 
that he was going to be the man. And as as I spent more and more time around Kobe Bryant, I, I, that's all I could think about was Lyndon Johnson. You know, and a guy like that, whether it's a Lyndon Johnson or a Kobe Bryant, somebody like that is going to upset the apple cart. It's going to upset everybody in the locker room, mm-hmm. especially if it's a young guy who is just not going to lay it down any other way. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been Kobe his whole career. And it's been fun to watch him grow up. He's, uh, but he's uncompromising. All right. What do you, Roland? What do you make of the Lakers this season? I mean, do we? Seku and I were talking about this earlier. Is is do we say that four game losing streak? Do we write that off? Uh, where do you Where do you think they are right now? I I think the the potential to be a good team. I I don't really think. It matters so much right now where they are. It's are they healthy in the spring? Do they have right. the depth they need to compete? I do think it matters some in terms of home court advantage, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. But I think it much more important, and, and I, this I know is Phil's mindset. Where are we in March? How together are we? And they're not real together right now. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of different things to pull them asunder. I, I think one good sign. I think Ron Artest is has been patient with stuff. Yeah, I uh, I'm a, a Ron Artest fan. I think he's a uh, you know he's not um, he doesn't come in the package that everyone understands, but he's a real important part of the NBA. And I think that says a lot about him having his history and the incident in Indianapolis. That uh, you know that Ron has done things that that really are uh, very fine gestures. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that one of the gestures is that he's not freaking out and and playing a prima donna in any way, at least so far he hasn't. And I, right. I think he's cool with everything there because they do have some new people on that roster and uh, they, they've got to work those guys in and figure out where things fit. And You know, I don't think there's any coach in the NBA who's more aware of the hierarchy of an NBA team. And, you know, it, it's all about Phil Jackson talking about the wolf in the pack and the alpha male. And, and he knows that that, that that hierarchy of the team is, uh, you know, is really something that requires a lot of attention. And uh, he always manages to make it happen. Uh, he can incorporate different people. It, it helps tremendously that he has a Kobe Bryant or, or particularly a Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd incorporated Dennis Rodman, and a lot of people are saying, well, Phil's a genius. Well, that that was really uh, – Worm was just terrified of Jordan. And, you know, everybody <laughs> was. And so, uh, you know, Jordan was just this uh, – he wasn't an enforcer in the traditional sense. He was just an enforcer with the way he was. You were not going to – uh, I mean, if you got a little goofy, right, uh, it wasn't going to happen. And, and Kobe, in his own way, has a lot of that. You know, he is a very demanding guy, and he, you know, Jordan, Pippen, those guys uh, demanded uh, most of themselves, and then put unbearable pressure on everyone else too. It's, uh, it's, it's. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch that stuff. I, you know, these guys are great team leaders. Jordan, everybody talks about big hands and jumping high, but uh, and all that stuff's good, well and good. Obviously, it it it's got to be on a resume. But that guy's an unbelievable leader. 
just in uh, just in his fierceness. And Kobe, in his own way, gets a lot of the same things accomplished. Roland, our, our last question, and we appreciate you so much for for joining us. I thank you for having me. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think this is it for Phil Jackson? I know he's he's talked about this being his last year with the Lakers and this and other. Do you think he's still got some coaching years left in him? Man, he's been doing the last everything as long as I've known him. <laughs> I, you know, he, he was raised by two fundamentalist preachers, and they thought the world was ending every week. <laughs> I'm not lying, man. I mean, they had uh, it, it, it's a huge thing there. Phil gets a little irritated when I point this stuff out, but. Uh, but I, I I have no idea. Phil is, man, he's an alien. He's in a different. Uh, he and Red Auerbach got beamed down from the same planet. <laughs> they love to torment people. They, you know, they they get the game of their day. Hmm. Red Auerbach in the 1950s, when America was as racist and clueless as a country could be. Red Auerbach, uh, you know, saw Bill Russell, realized what a brilliant person he was, and stepped back and let that brilliance happen. Right. And, uh, you know, Red was not a great X's and O's guy. And uh, so, but Red understood his time, and he rubbed everybody's face in it as a result. <laughs> and Phil, you know, is a man of his times. He uh, he, he has uh, Jerry Krause likes to begrudgingly admit that that Phil is the greatest brain picker of all time. Phil's a a, a brilliant man, and he also you know picks the mind of a Tex winner and Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman. All these different people that, I mean, he's just able to do it. And he's able to orchestrate the thing. And he's always about four or five moves ahead of everybody else. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. I, I I was joking on Twitter. I said, you know, if, who can imagine Phil up in Montana during an NBA season? He'd be like the daggone Unabomber up there. <laughs> <laughs> Zapping people and stuff. So, I, you know, I... If he can find a good way to get involved with the franchise, whether he'll coach or not, I don't know. I do think he could sort out the situation in Miami. Yeah. But I think Spolstra is, uh, you know, I think he's showing some moxie. You know, it's you. Um, there was a line back when I was writing about the Bulls in the 90s, and somebody was complaining about Phil's ego. And... Uh, Tim Hallam, a PR guy, said, you know, said, yeah, Phil's got a big ego, but if you're going to be coaching Michael Jordan these guys, you've got to have some crap with you. <laughs> right. you. You better be bringing, uh, uh, you better be walking some kind of dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they, um, and, you know, Spolster, so far, he's not, uh, he's not running and hiding. They still got a lot to do, but they got tough pieces down there. Anyway, I think I answered about six questions. That's all right. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. We don't complain about anybody answering questions on the Hang Time Podcast. Roland Lazenby, joining us on the show. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for thanks, thanks for coming Roland. on with us, Roland. Thank you for having me. All right. Take you. care. All right. You too. Lang, when a, when a man says that you got to talk to the people, he said the old people. But yeah. you know, If you want the truth, you got to talk to the people. 
We talk to the people around here now. I thought that was a good point. That was a really good point. Yeah, yeah. We talk to the people around here. Some of them are old. Some of them aren't. Some of them think they're old, like Nick Collison, yeah. even, even when they're not. You know, um, Roland Lazenby's been around long enough. I don't think he'd object us calling him a little older. So Veteran. Yes, ve- <laughs> veteran. He, veteran. He did. He answered a lot of questions in a short amount of time. That was great. And we're probably going to be in trouble once Phil Jackson and several other people hear this, but that's okay. Why? Um, you know, <laughs> That's all right. We, you know, we don't mind. I mean, he did call him the Unabomber. Um, I'm, not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm not sure Phil's going to appreciate that, but if he listens, that's even better. Um, but very, I mean, what, what an interesting perspective on the game when you can go from the, you know, the Red Arbacks era to now. Yeah, and and still, you know, be involved and and reach out and speak to the people that are making that history, man. What a so it's crazy. I'm it made it got me to thinking while he was talking too, Lane. Like, what will this, what kind of stories will you tell in in thirty years when you're the executive editor of Slam Magazine and at the Slam Dome, uh, you know, playing around on whatever Skype is thirty years from now <laughs> to the young whippersnappers reporters that are in there that you're trying to school on how to do this. I don't want to be doing this in 30 years. What? I, I want to be off on some <laughs> island somewhere, <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> I don't want to be talking to you. What? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to we're going to get, listen, we're going to be living in the same retirement village in Athens, <laughs> going to UGA again, because by then I'll be a, they'll have converted me around here. It's to, about uh, time you came around to real football. Yeah. SEC action. Please, Stop man. Stop listening to your Josh Groban and. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping we could get out of here without a Rich, Rich Rodriguez reference. <laughs> Don't get me started on the bowl season. Um, yeah, but no, it, it's just funny. I, I didn't feel I, I, I don't know, I don't often think about ten, twenty years from now, and then I hear him talking. I'm thinking, that's gonna be us telling these stories one day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm as entertaining as he was. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Micah, once again. You, you put together a masterpiece menu for us here on the Hang Time Podcast. We appreciate it. Our super producer, Micah Hart, behind the glass. Keith is in there laughing. Poor guy. He's got to put up with us when he comes in here. Lang, thanks again. Uh, another show in the books. Episode 35 is is, is locked down. Uh, we need to have a big show for 50. Can we start working on that already? Yes, I think we need to. You know what? We got to look at the when 50 will drop. That could, you know. Could be around All Star. That's what I'm saying. We could try and squeeze it. We need to try and squeeze the schedule out so when we we have a big shindig for the 50 out at the All Star we weekend. Yeah, maybe we should tape it out there. That'd be sweet, Micah. And, and uh, how about at halftime of the All Star? <laughs> we'll in between the dunk contest and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keith is in there going. Uh, make sure I'm uh, make sure I'm on that trip. <laughs> we can all tape it Monday morning when we're all tra- sitting around at the airport. Yeah, trying to get out of die. That's, that's a right. good point. That's a good point. We we got to thank our uh, our guest today, Nick Collison, uh, who's got one of the better um, profile pics on Twitter that I've seen. I, I love <laughs> I love the Twitter avatar he's got, and uh, Roland Lazerby both are on Twitter. As are we, the Hangtime Podcast coming at you right here at NBA.com every week. Lang Whitaker, my co-host, Micah Hart, our super producer Keith, pushing the buttons to Seku Smith. We appreciate you joining. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. Download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow
follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 